0: Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast. Today for episode 258, my guest is Raphael schulze and and he's rejoining me. He is the CTO of Glassnode and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the on-chain analytics that he and his team have been doing as well as the supply crunch that's been coming in the Bitcoin world Because while obviously the price is pumping, you can also look beneath the scenes and see what's going on in terms of how much of the supply is liquid, how much of that is illiquid, what is the behavior going on. So a very bullish episode for you. Now, a message for the sponsors of the show. Lend at HODLHODL is a non-custodial Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can lend and borrow globally and anonymously. So if you have stablecoins, don't leave that lying around. Lend it and earn attractive returns. HODLHODL's lending allows you to earn 25% APR on average, which is one of the highest returns on the market. Also, there is no need to sell your bitcoins even if you are short of funds. This is a way to get some fiat stablecoin liquidity without the need to trust your money to any one party. On Lend at Hoddle your Bitcoin collateral always remains locked in escrow. Lend at Hoddle is a Bitcoin DeFi allowing peer to peer lending and borrowing directly between its users. With Hoddle Lend platform, you set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and what interest you're looking to earn. Go and check it out. Lend.hoddlehoddle.com. Cypher Safe io are producing the cypher wheel product so if you have invested in a bitcoin hardware wallet don't just rely on that piece of paper make sure you are using a metal backup seed so that your seed is fireproof waterproof rust proof pet proof and tamper evident the cypher wheel comes in a wheel shape and you get some tiles you slide in four tiles for each word and that's how you can back up your seed and make sure that you or your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs Go and order yours at cyphersafe.io and make sure you use the code LEVERA to get 10% off. Compass is an online marketplace which makes it easier for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the Bitcoin network's security. This is the anti-cloud mining option. Compass helps you buy your own ASIC and secure hosting at great facilities around the world. For years we have all heard that mining is only profitable if you're investing tons of money but now, with Compass, everyone is able to tap into economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. And if you're unsure about how to get started with mining Bitcoin, Compass offers hardware and hosting bundles, which eliminates the need for advanced technical knowledge and allows you to quickly get started mining Bitcoin with hardware you own. Visit them at compassmining.io and start mining Bitcoin today. On to the show. Raphael, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me back, Stefan. Pleasure to be
0: here. Yeah, so it's been a little while since we last spoke on the show. And there's obviously been a lot going on in Bitcoin. And of course, we are here to talk about what's going on on chain. So I guess first, before we get into all of that, can you maybe give us a little bit of an update? What's going on with Glassnode since we last spoke?
1: Yeah I mean um it's been <laughs> it's been a wild and, and and exciting time right um I think um for all of us uh, that have been building throughout the bear market essentially you know we were hoping for for this to happen and 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 we wanted to be ready for for the when the bull market starts um and 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 here we are we were and it's um it's it's been wild um you know there is there is a lot of a a lot of engagement a lot of requests you know finally um people getting much much more into on-chain data as well it's it's super exciting to to actually now see that that data in a bull market in real time before it was always you know only in retrospect uh, with respect to what happened in two, 2017 so yeah uh, we're doing very well very exciting times
0: yeah and you guys have been sharing a lot of great updates now let me just maybe take a step back just for any listeners who are new just to kind of explain a little bit about what's going on here are you able to maybe just give a little bit of an overview how does you know, all this glass node on chain analytics stuff work. If you could just explain a little bit around kind of the basics of how you're able to see what's going on on-chain just for that listener who is new they're trying to learn about bitcoin
1: yes of course so so on-chain data obviously refers to to the data that is recorded on the blockchain the transactional data right so um, when when people interact with a network um, with the bitcoin network what the what they essentially do is is you know sign transactions send them in the network miners pick those up and you know create new new blocks that get mined and that data essentially gets saved um on on the blockchain and and so this transactional data really um has a lot of a lot of information right and that's that's something that is unprecedented because you know things things like that that don't exist in in, in traditional markets and so this this gives uh this whole kind economy um a a completely different and new way to, to actually look at it, um, look at the data, gog the market, understand, you know, things like network health, network activity, adoption, investor behavior, what are the hodlers doing, what are the you know the miners doing, um, how many funds are being moved around, in what sizes, how much is on exchanges and all of that, right, gives you just this huge amount of of, of possibilities to, to really dig into this raw data, extract it, and then, you know, yeah, really create that or, or, or yeah, get that information out of it in order to, to to understand what's going on, in order to make better informed um, investment decisions as well.
0: Yep. And so then perhaps the next level of detail in is something like understanding how, you know because when somebody's new to bitcoin they might think oh it's totally private or it's all totally public and the truth is it's somewhere in the middle depending on what kind of behavior you use and if you act you know for example if you use you know samurai wallet and join market and so on your behavior is a little bit more masked obviously but for most users that behavior is visible on chain and there are certain heuristics right most famously or commonly is the common input ownership heuristics. so for users for listeners out there when you spend your bitcoin it's like think of it like you're you know casting down a, gar- a bar of gold and recasting it into a, a new size of gold and then based on the way those move around people can try to essentially cluster different balances and then try to track different users on the chain uh, would you say that's a fair summary of in some sense what you're doing
1: yeah, yeah, uh, roughly. So so the, the the basic unit on on the blockchain is an unspent um transaction output, right? Um and that holds some amount of of bitcoin and so if you if you own bitcoin what that means is that you have a private key that is associated with the the address that is related to that to that to that bitcoin, right? And it gives you the right to actually spend it, right? And so when you do that that UTXO essentially gets destroyed, gets spent, right, um, and a new one gets created. And a transaction can entail, can contain many of these of these inputs, of these of these, you know, UTXOs that get spent together. And um, and essentially, you know, why when they get spent, they essentially get 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 destroyed. New ones get created as as the outputs of of that transaction, and and so one of those those heuristics that you mention is is exactly that right if they get spent together then you you assume that um they are controlled by 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 the same by the same entity obviously this is not um always uh always the case there is there's a lot of nuances to that but but in general this is uh, this is one of those that, that 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 is being used quite 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 a lot um and so yeah bitcoin in that sense is it's not anonymous uh, right um, it's it's pseudonymous because yeah you can essentially see uh, the the behavior of addresses on 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 chain and and try you know through statistical pattern recognition through machine learning through clustering um and in many uh, advanced methods um try to go you know which of those actually belong together which are you know probabilistically controlled by by the same entity and um you know these these are these are some of the things that we do but um we don't go uh, down to the individual level right because we're not interested in in single transactions um i'm not i'm not interested in in and you know um Knowing uh, what uh, you know, what what a particular person um, is, is sending to to exchanges, or so what we're interested in is really the macro view. What are funds? You know how are funds from a macro perspective moving in the network, and what does that mean for the network and for the market?
0: Right. Yeah, and we might get into how you sort of cluster specific individuals, or not individuals, but rather types of entities like whales and dolphins and so on. But I think it's also interesting just to as you mentioned look at the macro level of this so as we speak today so today is wednesday the 10th of march 2021 and the price of bitcoin is around fifty-four thousand usd and so currently about 18.65 million of the 21 million bitcoins have been issued or mined into existence if you will and so I know some of your statistics look at things like liquid versus illiquid Bitcoin supply, and then there's also you also consider that some of those bitcoins have potentially been lost. Are you able to uh, shed some light on those kind of numbers and how you're analyzing that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that network liquidity is um, is is super interesting uh, to look at. So what we do is. you you can essentially um, you know the, the supply is held by by uh, you know in addresses um, and is controlled by by certain entities and so you can statistically you can assess what the probability is of the funds that a certain address is receiving what is the probability that the, those are being spent by that entity you know and 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 through by quantifying that you essentially categorize an entity as being you know illiquid um, or liquid and these terms might be a bit confusing what is really meant here is you know is that entity a strong hodler so is the probability that that Individual or that per- network participant is going to spend the bitcoins that that they received. Are they going to spend them or not? You know, versus exactly. Like, so depending on that on that probability, you classify them as 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 liquid and, and, and non liquid. And what we've seen essentially that out of those what's eighteen point six million that are that are already uh, mined today, almost eighty percent. Lie with those illiquid entities, right? With strong hodlers are really in strong hands. So those are Bitcoin that um, are, right, not in circulation, or you know, not to the extent that they're constantly circulating, and therefore, you know, are um, available to be to be uh, bought by someone else. Um, and that is. I mean that is that is of course um, a, a a very very crucial trend because this essentially leads to this you know supply squeeze and and to this liquidity crisis that we're seeing which of course um, you know points a very very bullish picture for the price of of, of Bitcoin um, and this is a trend that we have been observing now for for a couple of months. Which you know, that has, is continuing, and, and we're not seeing an, an, an end to this. Um, so, what this essentially means is that the once the supply that, that is in constant circulation is around 4 million, right? That is substantially lower than the total amount of mined Bitcoin up to date.
0: Right. And so, just to replay that for listeners, then essentially, of the 18.6 million or so, something like 14 and a half million of those are actually illiquid. And then really, it's only that last kind of 4.2 or so that is actually being liquid and actually being traded around on exchanges. And I think that's a really interesting phenomenon because I think if you talk to economists and things, they'll say, hey, the price of things is set at the margin. And so even though you know it's not like all 18 million bitcoins are available for supply, are, are available for sale today, there's only a small fraction of those that are actually traded and most you know and especially in bitcoin because we have this culture around hodling and holding your coins
1: yeah no exactly and and i think you know for on those uh, on those 14 what 14.5 million um you know you can you could potentially subtract three to four million that are that are potentially lost forever right that will never come back into circulation and the others are then you know with those strong hodlers so 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 you really see this uh, this phenomenon of um, that the one that you mentioned of of you know strong hands of of you know hodling uh, behavior something that is not just a meme but that we see in in reality um, on the network um, happen
0: yeah and i think then also because the blockchain has historical data this is also another really cool point where i've seen you do some analysis on things like the dynamics over time and i think you've mentioned that it's like the older hodlers they tend to sell a little bit as the price runs up and i guess maybe just thinking through from a fundamental point of view some of them, for some of them it makes sense maybe they want to you know maybe they've been waiting for this long and they think okay it's finally it's time to buy a new house or a new car or something like that but then really they're holding most of their coins is that a similar kind of dynamic to what you're seeing
1: yeah no absolutely um I think and I think it makes total sense right I mean we're still in a in a fiat dominated world um and, and and people need to pay bills and and people want to want to live um a good life and 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 so what you see um this it's is this really reoccurring pattern of of you know old coins coming back into circulation once those those bull markets uh, really 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 start start going up, and 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 yeah, essentially you know that's that's what I think is 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 smart money, right? So they 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 are taking profits, you know, they're taking some of, of 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 the bitcoins to sell. And What we see then, you know, in bear markets is the opposite happening, right? They're sort of you know there's these this reaccumulation phases afterwards where potentially. Those same participants might be actually scooping up you know more cheaper bitcoins when when it's when it's when it's more cost effective to to buy them to buy them back in and yeah I think that's that, that's something that we saw right now as well within the um, within the last couple of of weeks and months. What is interesting. What I actually looked at just, just today, and I need to take a closer look, is that if you look at the coins that haven't been moved in, in more than a year and more than two years, those, you know, that percentage of those coins is coming down, right? So which means, you know, that those coins are actually coming, you know, some of that supply is coming back into circulation. But if you look at the coins that haven't been moved in more than three years, that is still going up, right? Um and those are essentially, you know, the players that have been there before, you know, in 2017 that actually went through 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 the last <clears throat> bull market, um, and 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 that that for me is 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 very 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 curious to see, right? Because that might actually show that those, you know, investors that have been there, you know, before 2017 and have gone actually through that bull market. Um, um, have learned from it and, and and you know have now stronger hands and and, and are waiting for for even more um, upside or or you know even hodling for for good.
0: Yeah, interesting. And I suppose this is always going to be somewhat of an inexact science, and it's about heuristics and trying to get it right on average, as opposed to get it right every time, because. I can think of examples where, as an example, let's say somebody is an older hodler, but and they are moving their coins, but what if they're moving their coins into a more secure setup? So, as an example, maybe they've been sitting on a single signature for a while, but now the value has gone up significantly. Obviously, we're sitting around 54000 USD. I mean, it was what a year ago that we were like 5000 USD or something so they might be thinking well i need to get my coins into multisig and i need to be more secure with my coins so i guess that's one area where you know maybe that cuts against that heuristic a little bit but maybe on your side you might be looking at oh okay look at all these coins that're going into an exchange so obviously they must be being sold
1: absolutely i think i think you know this is this is all statistics right this is all Sort of, you know, the overall trend, um, and and there is definitely examples uh, for for which you know these yeah these these metrics don't hold, you know, and it, exactly those examples that you mentioned, right? I can, I can totally see someone, you know, um, that have you know having bought a Bitcoin a year ago or so at at five k, and and now uh, you know maybe left it on the exchange or so, and now at fifty, uh, you know, fifty fifty k or fifty plus k um they're thinking to themselves, okay, you know, this is this is too much, this is too valuable, this is too risky to actually keep leaving it and um you know on an exchange or you know are pulling it off to a hardware wallet that they bought or something like this. So that coin that you know potentially um has uh, more than a year since the last move is now coming back into circulation but it's nothing that you know where where someone is realizing profits but but really just bull markets draw attention to something that you might have forgotten about or or something that you know you might not have been paying too much attention to right people you know maybe just want to assure themselves of of you know the accessibility of their coins uh, when the price goes up there's so many things here i think that that um that that play a role that do not have always do not have to do with with you know someone selling um their their coins
0: yeah there's a lot of interesting aspects around that and i think it's also worthwhile pointing out here that the coins exist right so 18.6 million coins exist and really what we're talking about is the distribution of those coins changing because you know no matter how many new people come into bitcoin there will never be more than 21 million right but it's like how do you i guess what, what we're trying to do here is try to look at what's going on on the chain And understand, okay, there's all these new people coming in and what does that actually look like from an on-chain perspective, right? Because it's not like there's new coins. I mean, other than obviously the block reward, um, block subsidy, there's not new coins being made. It's about what's the distribution.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I think you know, the, I mean, yeah, the new coins is is the issuance, which currently is what um, nine hundred a day or so, um, roughly. That that of course is is you know is is being added um, on a daily basis. But um, you know the the bulk, what eighty eight percent or so, have already been mined. So it's it's all there, right? So it's it's really looking at that UTXO set of 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 that Bitcoin supply that lives on the blockchain. And then trying to assess what is happening with that, right? How is it being redistributed? What is happening to altcoins? What is, you know, what are, what are the, the exchanges? All these kind of things that you can actually gawk from, from looking at that transactional data, which is, as you say, whatever has already been um, um, issued.
0: Yeah. And I'm also curious as well the impact of, okay, so there's address reuse. And I think in the earlier days, that was more of a common phenomenon where people might just have in their forum, you know, signature or online, they might say, hey, you can donate to me at this address or you can give me Bitcoins at this address. And then over the years, more and more people are using what's called HD, hierarchical deterministic wallets, where they actually generate a new address to receive into. And so, has that changed the anal- the analysis for you, or are you still mostly relying on common input ownership heuristic there?
1: So the, the, the common the common input heuristic is is for for when you spent them, right? When you receive them, uh, there is there's different there's different things to this. So, first we have we have this metric that we call you know accumulation addresses that is actually all the addresses that have never spent funds. But have received at least two transactions, right? And we use two yeah. because, because if you use one, then there's you know there's a lot of these relay transactions on chain right sometimes when someone is sending you know a bitcoin from a to c then it goes uh, through an intermediary address for whatever reasons that is very short-lived and then then you know it 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 actually is just a one-time use disposable address and that's why we look at 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 those that have received at least two transactions and we see that this that the quantity of these addresses is still growing, right? There is I think half a million of those that hold almost three million Bitcoin. So it's it's substantial. It's 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 quite a lot. But but of course you're right. Um there is there is you know these these dynamics that we've seen as well where you know wallets are, are are more sophisticated with respect to you know which i think you know is, is needed is an important with respect to security and with respect to to privacy and that holds for you know things like change addresses right if if i send if i send bitcoin um and i i need to spend you know a certain amount of utxos um and i receive change from from that transaction nowadays i think it's very very uncommon that that change goes into the sending address back into the sending address even though it still exists to a large extent like you wouldn't believe it's still there right but more and more wallets actually make use of you know creating a new one in which you know those bitcoin um, um flow flow back in um and and there are other heuristics you know where you can with a certain probability um, detect those right that's um, it's it's simple um statistical pattern recognition it's um um so uh, the the methodologies they need to become a bit more sophisticated um, in order to to maintain the same level of accuracy with respect to these metrics
0: yeah, it's really fascinating stuff. And I suppose one angle that does kind of come to my mind, and maybe this is, you know, the influence of my friend Matt Odell and the privacy angle, I'm curious, does that play on your mind that, you know, some of these heuristics they're kind of cut against people's privacy and that some of these, you know, clustering algorithms to some extent. Now I understand you're not doing it to the same level that, say, you know, a chain surveillance company might be doing it. But does that play on your mind in terms of cutting against some of the privacy heuristics of just everyday Bitcoin users out there?
1: It does. It does absolutely. You know, and that's something that we've we've, we've been thinking about a lot as well, right? I think I think, and this is why I always try to emphasize it and why I try to mention it that that you know we are interested in macro flows. And, and not not in in you know in individuals um and, you know we're 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 interested in those those driving forces of the markets is, that is the big institutions and and so that's 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 absolutely an angle where you know we we try to be um, as as yeah as as, as careful as is possible and, and not not go down the the forensics road right not go down the you know this this particular transaction you know belongs to you know x or y or comes from you know a dark market or, or whatever that is um so i think i think this is uh, for us it's that that's something that it's very important um, uh, to 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 emphasize because uh we're, we're really interested in, in 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 the macro view of, of what is happening on chain related to the markets mostly
0: I see. So if I could press on that thread just once more, it could be that, I mean, in order to find that macro view, you kind of have to cluster somebody's wallet, don't you? I mean, in order to know, oh, see, that's the darknet market or this is the hydro market bitcoins or this is some, you know, these individuals are using CoinJoin as an example. And then you might have to sort of, to some extent, apply clustering or apply some analysis to that, right?
1: Yeah, so so the the only entities that we look at are miners, exchanges, and OTC desks, uh, maybe custodials, right? So I don't I don't even I don't even know um, you know about um, uh, the dark markets, and so I'm just mentioning them because I know that there's companies that do these forensic analyses, and you know that might you know say this this Bitcoin is tainted or you know like um, whatever it is, and and so. These, these these heuristics that, that we apply we just apply them you know automatically in the backgrounds you know through the clustering algorithms without us knowing you know like whose addresses those actually belong to or you know where those reside or you know what you know whatever whatever that is the the only the only ones that we actually have labels for are I mean obviously the miners you get them because you know those come from the coin transactions, and and the and the and the exchanges because those are um, those are the the interesting ones when you're looking at at market behavior.
0: Sure, and I think uh, yeah, I think that's fair, and and as you mentioned, you're not going to that same level of a chain surveillance company. And I think the answer as well, to be fair to you and uh, other people doing this kind of work, is that. Really, for people who are more concerned, the answer is not to kind of shout at the people doing anal- analytics, but it's to actually be more private on chain. And that means learning to use CoinJoin, learning to use these techniques for your own privacy, if if that's what, you know, if you as a listener, that's what you're interested in, make sure you're doing some research into those privacy techniques. And, you, you know, you're using non-KYC methods of acquiring your Bitcoins. But certainly, I think the overall analysis is quite valuable and very interesting for those of us who are interested in the macro perspective of what's going on on chain and, you know, how many people are hodling and so on. I've seen you chat about some of these different metrics. There's one called NUPL, Net Unrealized Profit and Loss. So, Rafael, what what is that?
1: Uh, So, the the NUPL is is a metric that essentially uh, tells you the percentage of of the the mar- of the market cap that that is in profits or loss right this is a metric that relies on a concept that is the realized cap and and the realized cap is 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 essentially valuing each bitcoin at the at the time that that those bitcoin last moved right so as compared to the market cap where you say these are all bitcoins this is the supply you know each of those is multiplied by the market by the um by the current price for realized cap you do it um by the price at which the the bitcoins um last moved and so uh taking these two concepts you can actually you know quantify how much of the market cap what is the percentage that is um in in profit or loss um and 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 and, and UPL essentially gives you exactly that metric right um so what happens is that the metric then goes up in bull markets when essentially investors are realizing their profits at a at a lower at a lower rate than than uh, the market cap is going up, right? And so you know currently we're I think at seventy percent as as far as I. I remember the last number, you know, which actually essentially means that 700 billion um, of the market cap are, are, you know, with respect to to this on-chain analysis in in a state of of profit. And this can, you know, you can map this then to essentially these different uh, investor sentiment um, bands within cycles. And, um, you know, as you go above 75, 80, this is, you know, when when sort of like the, the market gets very, very greedy because no one's realizing prices ones you know like really you know hoping for 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 more and more and more and and this is you know where historically it has been a very good indicator for for those uh, for those tops
0: yeah i see so it's sort of like a it's like a local top indicator kind of i mean obviously these are all heuristics none of it is like a hundred percent but historically it seems to be that way correct
1: yeah, I mean, I use it more for I use it more for 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 global tops. Uh, I think it has been a very good global top predictor. You know, these these biggest Bitcoin cycles that we've seen, and, and and the bottoms as well. So it's 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 a very very nice metric that helps navigate these cycles and and actually give you a good feeling of you know where we currently are, right? Whether it's a good entry point, whether, you know, we are entering or or, or leaving a bull market, whether, um, you know, it's it's becoming dangerous and, and we might be hitting one of those stops anytime soon.
0: Yeah. So as you view NUPL then, where, where you, as you said, it's about 0.7. So I guess what were, you know, just to give listeners some context, what was like a good accumulation point and what's kind of like a, we're, we're nearing the top point?
1: So the accumulation points is essentially when most holdings are underwater. Right, so that that essentially goes below zero, and then you know below zero essentially means if you have you know minus twenty percent means that twenty percent of of the um, of of the of the market cap is is underwater, um, and so these are globally always very very good uh, entry points historically, and when it goes um, above when when we enter essentially. 75 is is when we you know ent- entry that euphoria greed zone. So this is where you kind of start you know might want to start thinking about that you know a top is uh, someone here. So we're currently at 70, but um it's you know there's still there there's still a lot of upside if you think about if you look at 2017 for instance. I think we entered that that 75 range in. Early December two thousand seventeen. So we still had three weeks to go. In in those three three weeks, um, I think Bitcoin did another, I don't know, fifty sixty percent or so, right? And so we we're still we're, we're still way below that, right? Even even if we start entering at at uh, into into seventy five, we might still have, you know, again, um, if it looks uh, similar this time, those those fifty sixty percent, um, and you know. And depending on on the price at that point in time, I think there is there's still still some way to go.
0: Yeah. So it's like I guess the other question is, can it sort of stay in that range for some time? Like and then just over time, as new people are coming in, it just kind of stays around that point seven range or does it kind of have to move?
1: No, no, I think it can. I think it. I think it absolutely can. Right. The question is how long. Right. I think it, I think at some point it really gets overextended. Right. And, and then um, as the price goes up and up and up, um, people will start, you know, will start eventually realizing the profits. And then that that, of course, you know, can. Can, can cascade and then and then and then it comes comes back down but we can stay within that range I, I don't know how it was for the previous markets but but as i mentioned i mean we were almost a whole month um in 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 that range and and usually you know that's that's towards the 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 end of 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 those cycles where where prices really accelerate again um quite a bit um but you know we were close to it. We were close to entering that that seventy-five percent. Uh, now we're back at seventy. So you know, until we get back to seventy-five, and then you know, depending on how long we stay there, I think that's it's it's something that I am looking at, but nothing that I'm worried about um, yet at all.
0: I see, and of course, as people who were around the last few times they know that there were 30 percent drawdowns on the way up so it could well be that we're just going through a few of those on the way up right
1: it could very well be absolutely and i think that's that's just something to to keep a close uh, close eye on right they, they there are these drawdowns so you can go back 30 percent, right and, and and that's why why i think that it's it's never good to to just you know look at a single metric but you start really getting the whole picture by looking at, at 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 many of them right because each of them gives you a different perspective each of them gives you a different quantification on on you know where we are what investors are doing and and whether we're really you know close to something that might indicate a top or not
0: I see. Yeah, uh, and I've also seen you were uh, chatting about this metric called UTXO realized price distribution. So I guess they're a little bit related. Can you outline what what is UTXO realized price distribution?
1: Yeah, they're they're very much related. They're it's very much related to to realized uh, price actually, right? So the realized price is just the the, the average buy price, so to speak, from an on chain perspective, because um, it just it just gives you the average the average price at which you know bitcoins moved on chain and and what the utxo price distribution does is you know simply break that up into a histogram where you have these buckets and then you see you know how many bitcoins moved at you know, 20K, 21K, 22K, um, and so on and so forth. And this actually gives you a really nice overview of, of, of that landscape on where there is a lot of activity, of a lot of volume, and therefore also, you know, potentially a lot of capital inflow. So these usually can form these 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 thresholds of of, of, of of essentially support for for the price because there is a substantial amount of people that have assigned Bitcoin that particular price at that at that moment right um, and so that's that's what we what we recently saw right a lot of activity between um, I think roughly 45 to 48k which 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 has held very strong now within the last couple of weeks. And, and you know, people people seem to, to seem to see that as, as a as a strong support there.
2: Greetings, Stefan Nevera fans. This is Dread here, and I have some big news to share. Swan Bitcoin's new private client services division is open for business. So last August, MicroStrategy CEO, Michael Saylor, kicked off the trend of companies buying Bitcoin for their balance sheets. A flood of high-profile investors and companies have joined them. Names like Paul Tudor Jones, BlackRock, Square and Tesla. Swan Private exists to meet the massive international demand from thousands of companies, family offices and high net worth investors from all around the globe. If you're thinking of buying between 100,000 and 100 million US dollars worth of Bitcoin over the next year. Visit swanbitcoin.com slash private. That's swanbitcoin.com slash private. Fill out the onboarding form or email the CEO personally. Corey at swanbitcoin.com. That's C-O-R-Y at
0: swanbitcoin.com. Respect fans and one love. Check out Coinkite.com, the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the Cold Card, one of the most recommended hardware wallets by Bitcoiners. It has a whole range of features like the ability to use it air-gapped, you can add your entropy to it as well, you can... Connect it with popular wallets like Spectre Desktop, Electrum, Sparrow, or Blue Wallet to do air-gapped transactions. I've long been a fan of this wallet. It offers very high security at such a low price point, and it offers PSBT, partially signed Bitcoin transactions, natively. It also works great as part of a multi-signature set. So go and get yours at coincard.com and use the code LAVERA for a discount. And finally, Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin-native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. So they've got vaults with multi-signature designed for ultra secure long-term storage you hold two keys and Unchained capital hold the third key so they can be the third key in that scenario they also offer a concierge onboarding service where they will ship you some hardware wallets answer your questions and deposit thousand dollars of bitcoin in your vault so if you use the code Lavera, you get a discount on that too Unchained Capital offer an OTC desk and they also offer business accounts for those of you looking to move your corporate treasury to Bitcoin where you hold the private keys go to unchained Dash capital to find out more back to the show so in other words it's peering into the psychology of those investors who feel like I'm not going to sell unless I'm getting a profit and that's why if they bought in at 45 or 48 they don't want to sell it for 44 for example so they are more of a more inclined to hold so long as they have a sufficiently strong hand, right?
1: Yeah. Or for whatever reasons they, they you know, they decided to buy at 45, 46, right? So and, and and a lot of people did, right? That's why there's there's a lot of on chain volume. And and those are, you know those are not the ones uh, that is that are going to sell once once the price gets back to those levels right those are the ones that are expecting more upside and and so this is where where this this, this capital sort of like concentrated on these regions in the price that we see on chain that then become potentially these, these support levels
0: yeah in terms of clustering and seeing what entities are doing on chain, what about miners? What are you able to analyze in terms of mining activity on chain?
1: Yeah, so so miners, of course, are um, are cru- crucial players in in the space as well. And you know, one one thing that that I like to debunk always is you know the miners are selling out, right? So this is something that comes up a lot as well, which you know it's not something that we actually see. There is again, you know, these periods in time where miners, the, the the funds that they hold, they flow out in in larger quantities, and we've seen something like this now in November, December, up to to January, maybe, uh, which has flattened out again. So they're they're back at, at neutral. They're they're not moving a lot, or not moving um, the, the the coins out of their wallets, um, and you know, potentially took some profits there. Um, but it's 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 nothing that is significant right it's not this 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 minor sellouts narrative um, it's um, it's you know probably you know more on on the side of of their eco- economics and and you know um, bitcoins that they have to sell for for uh, their their mining operations um, um, but um but that you know that that short term you know Cell that that as I say was not very significant, um has has depleted now again um, and and we're back sort of like to the neutral level. That's that's what what the current status um, is with with miners on chain.
0: Yeah, so I think it, the, the narrative has been that, oh, see, miners have all these operating costs, so they need to be spending down the coins to be able to fund that. But I think now we're starting to see some miners come out and say, well, actually, we're able to get debt financing and use that to fund our operating costs and therefore keep on hodling or at least hodl more coins or hodl for longer than we otherwise would have had to because we were able to get fiat financing
1: yeah absolutely i think that's that's part of that right i um, um hodlers are incentivized to 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 hodl as well um and 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 they will and now they have the possibility to to do so to a larger extent um by by you know just you know using bitcoin lending services or so um and and i think it makes a lot of sense for them um right um i think that that is part of the narrative um that's nothing that that we can see from on-chain data but from you know from, from, from conversations that we're having um i think that's uh that that's one of the that the paths that, that they're taking at this point
0: yeah another interesting phenomenon is obviously the collateralized loans space is growing rapidly now disclosure for my listeners unchained capital and hodl hodl are sponsors of mine who offer this as a service but i think it is an interesting phenomenon here and i wonder now, maybe this is a little bit not as much on-chain analysis, but it's a little bit more just kind of fundamental analysis or just looking at what's going on in the market. I wonder whether that also contributes a lot more to the you know, hodling and the restriction of the available supply, because there may be, you know, whether that's a, an older hodler who wants to you know get, use, live, get for living expenses or it's a miner who wants to be able to hold longer. What kind of dynamic do you think that brings to the Bitcoin world over these coming years?
1: You know, I think that's that's something that I that, that I that I've that I never looked into it until until actually only recently and that I, I find very fascinating what is happening in that space and how much how much traction that has actually gotten, like how much has happened on that. Right. That's that's really, you know, one of those manifestations that I'm seeing where this this new economy is being built on top of Bitcoin, right? Because now you have you know these these that lending borrowing services um on on, on top of this new economy. So I find this very interesting. Um, and and the reason that I do especially um is is you know yeah one with respect you know to miners or everyone wanting access to fiat um, without wanting to sell their their bitcoins I think that's that's you know that's a very clear um, narrative there um and the second one is um especially you know when it comes to the markets as well is that um I mean you know those are over collateralized loans um for which you get you know six plus percent um and and that is something that that you won't find in traditional markets. So, 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 what I'm thinking, right, and what I believe is that I cannot imagine anyone, you know, in in, in Wall Street or, or in, in in traditional finance anywhere, to you know, just look at that and ignore it. Um, and and I think that um, you know this this could be driving um, a lot of new capital inflows if people you know, can actually rely on a, you know, six percent seven percent eight percent yield a year um that's that's an apy that that, that that's not easy to find uh, somewhere else um and um that that i find uh, very very fascinating i'm curious very curious to see how that plays out now in the in the upcoming months
0: yeah right and i see it like so in for example in the case of someone like hodl hodl they are actually finding APYs even higher than that but we should consider though that they are doing it's stable coin lending so the interest Paid on that kind of example is interest on, say, USDT, whereas in the case of, let's say, you, you are borrowing against your Bitcoin, you're paying the interest in that example. Um, but I think to to the broader point around helping people hodl for longer using these loans, that's, that's an important dynamic. But also, on the downside, there is a double-edged sword here because if there's downwards price movement then we can see a lot of liquidation so that's where also listeners have to be responsible and prudent uh because you know if they enter into a loan where they are you know not having enough coverage for that uh then the margin call can come and you can get liquidated and obviously that's a risk for people and then that can also bring the price down quite rapidly as well so it kind of is a double-edged sword in that way
1: yeah uh, absolutely um i think you know and it's it's still something that is very nascent um although you know many of these landing services were were um alive before before the Black Thursday event um, last year, and 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 I think you know at least from from what I know, many of them did a good job of of, of getting through through that crisis. Um, so um, yeah, it's 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 definitely something I'm very curious about, and I, I'll be I'll be um, having a um, uh, looking at very closely um, um, to see how that plays out in the upcoming months, um, especially given that um, you know. The the AUMs of these services within within the last year have have really exploded. So I think that there's uh, there's quite some activity happening there.
0: Yeah. Also, in terms of looking at behavior on chain, one other metric I've seen Glassnode mention in some of the weekly uh, analysis is uh, supply adjusted coin days destroyed. So this is a way of looking at older coins moving. Correct. What what is supply adjusted coin days destroyed?
1: Yeah, so so coin is destroyed um, is is simply um, looking at the age and the volume of the coins that are moving today on chain, right? So if if I if you know if there's a Bitcoin that moves today um, that last moved seven days ago, then that's seven coin days destroyed, right? If I have two Bitcoins uh, that are moving today and the last time those moved was 30 days ago, then that's 60 coin days destroyed, right? So it gives you a metric um, of um, about, um, you know, the the age and the volume of um, the coins that are moving um, on-chain today. Um, Supply adjusted here simply means that, you know, as time goes by, as there is more supply, then, you know, the baseline goes up for coin days being destroyed because there's simply more coins and there's simply more days so um it it simply trends slightly trends up and so by just dividing it by the supply you kind of bring it down to the same baseline historically um to make it more stationary um and so yeah coin is destroyed is um is a super uh, valuable metric um also, in order to go, uh, what are our, our long-term holder are doing? Right, are old coins that have been dormant uh, for, for, for many months, for many years, coming back into circulation?
0: Yeah, really fascinating stuff. And I think it it kind of uh, that is probably another one that comes into if you think through fundamentally, what are some of these people doing? Well, it it might be an older hodler who is taking some out or they need some for living expenses because they've still been hodling and so on. But very interesting in the way that you can perhaps look at some of these and maybe combine some of the different pieces together to give yourself a bit of a, a more accurate view or at least some try to validate a thesis that you might be having about what's going on in the market so that's certainly an interesting thing there i think also the other really big one that a lot of people are talking about now is how the number of coins on exchanges is dropping very quickly so can you give us your analysis on this what's what's the story there
1: yeah i think that ties into this this liquidity supply crisis uh, that we're seeing um right so what we've observed is that we in, we're in—we're seeing this huge depletion of, of liquidity on exchanges that has now extended um, roughly a year, I would say. Um, so it's very, very long, very, very deep. I think um, exchanges have lost around 20% um, of, of their supply, and 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 it's an interesting phenomenon because. Um, yeah, it it has it hasn't happened to this extent quite yeah in 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 previous years um, and 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 I think that that it's something that fits in very very well with the institutionalist narrative right because. Institutionals coming into the space they're they're not buying um you know these huge amounts on on spot exchanges right so they they do custodial services OTC trades um and, and these kind of things so um i think um, that this has very much to do with that as well um you know potentially also, things like lending services, right? Uh, or that we're talking about that you know that being moved um, there. Um, and Then, of course, also you know simple education and self custody. People having you know long-term conviction pulling their coins from exchanges into um, into um, hardware wallets um, or, or cold storage. So. Yeah, there's there's the supply squeeze, um, and and I think um, that's that's very related to to the price action that we've uh, we've seen recently.
0: Yeah, and so to give some context on the numbers, maybe you you probably have a better grasp on this than I do, but it seems that it's gone from something like three million bitcoins on the exchanges collectively, and it's down to maybe two and a half, and it's still kind of falling a little bit further, like two point four million or so.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's roughly. From the peak, I think it's, it's roughly, yeah, six, six hundred, six hundred K or so since the peak, which, yeah, from, uh, exactly from three, three million, it's, it's roughly 20%. Um, and that's, that's substantial, right? That is, that is very substantial given that, that, you know, um, yeah these exchanges are where actually the the markets are happening um, so it's 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 super super interesting what is what is happening there
0: right because if we consider that the price is set on the margin then it means the only way this this resolves is if the price goes a lot higher because any time some you know big company or some billionaire or some hundred millionaire or you know just a lot of retail individuals are out there trying to buy bitcoin and pull it to their own cold storage then it means on the exchange side, you know, or on the OTC broker side, they're trying to get out there and source some coins, but there's just not that many left to sell.
1: Yeah, no, no, exactly. I mean, even the the, the OTC desk, they need to pull their liquidity from somewhere, right? Um, yeah, I think we're actually currently deep diving a bit more into this um, into this analysis to, to really, you know, get a better grasp of, of what what is going on um, you know there's some unpublished data where we where we do look at um, otc desks where we have seen um, you know their balances going up in the same period of time um, uh, you know um, i think a lot of that is 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 actually moving into 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 you know custodial services for institutionals um, and 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 that's that's you know that's exactly that it's it's this liquidity depletion it's not you know retail that formal retail kind of um, dynamic that we saw in 2017 but um but this fits very very nicely with all the announcement that, the announcements that we're that we've uh, heard um over the last couple of of weeks and months of, of you know public companies coming in and and scooping up uh, those bitcoins and those are only the public ones you know how many funds and family offices and 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 so on are out there doing similar things
0: yeah because in 2017 it really seems that was much more of a retail driven market and at that time The whole institutional money was more of a meme at that point. And it seems that this time in 2021, it really is a lot more institutions who are coming in. And I guess the typical pattern for them is they might be buying on some OTC desk or one of the big exchanges and then they might be pulling it out into one of the larger custodians. So we're talking, you know, Fidelity uh, as a custodian, Coinbase Custody, BitGo, Anchorage, uh, maybe Knox Custody, these other, you know, these other players. So essentially, even though the amount on exchanges is dropping, it could still be with a custodian, but just a non-exchange custodian.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's, that's a large part of the narrative. Um, and non-exchange custodians
0: right because historically i think the space wasn't as developed so a lot more people might have left their coins on an exchange
1: exactly Um, not at all in 2017 right i think that's 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 what's what what is actually making this whole institutional capital inflow uh, possible the infrastructure now in 2020 and 2021 is there that infrastructure didn't exist to that extent in in 2017 right i mean there's other factors but 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 that's that's now like the accessibility for them um the infrastructure that they need in order to really you know go deep into this market that they didn't exist before um and so so yeah i think that's that's one of the the very big differences between these markets um that in 2017 it was clearly retail um uh, focused and retail driven while um now at least you know that first part that first push of this um of this market um was was institutionals and we have only recently um seen that 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 retail um is has actually arrived within the last couple of weeks
0: right so up until now it's been mostly institution-led and if anything now retail is also coming into the game so now it's just going to be retail and institutions all trying to stack over the next few months as we kind of approach you know as this uh, bull market develops
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. I think um, I don't know when we started seeing in um, retail. I think uh, maybe uh, maybe a, a month ago, six weeks ago or so, right? Where it started uh, slowly coming in. Um, I think there's a lot of off-chain data that shows us as well, right, with respect to you know sign-ups um, and sign-ins on on, on exchanges, um, um, you know, these website visits. But then also in on-chain, you kind of you kind of see the uh, the amount of new entities entering the space and that has you know just like surged crazy in the last couple of of, of weeks um, so so that's you know those are those are um, you know the the smaller players that, that are coming in so I'm really curious to see um, how this plays out um, and how that um, you know changes um, um, you know the, the the market and and then the volatility. Potentially as well um, within the next couple of, of,
0: of weeks and months. I'm curious as well because just you know individuals, some of them can be weak hands and some of them can be strong hands with high conviction. I'm wondering whether you've seen anything on chain to indicate that, in, from an institution point of view, whether you know the ones coming in now are weak hands or strong hands, or do you think it's more like? we won't know until they get tested. So let's say, I don't know, just for example's sake, let's say it goes to like 250,000 and then it crashes to, you know, 50,000 or 100,000, you know, are we only going to know at that point how many of them are strong hands?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a bit early, um, especially from an non-chain perspective, because um, I don't think that, you know, institutionals with, with, the whole, with all the overheads, um, that that they need in order to come into the space to actually you know invest um I mean those are processes and, and preparations that um you know as far as I know I I don't have deep insights but um they take uh, they take a couple of months right in order to to be able to execute uh, to the amount that they want um and so um I believe that it's a bit early yet uh, to to actually um get a feel for um you know their conviction and whether you know they're here for for the long haul um or whether you know there's among them you know actively managed funds that that are um you know essentially trying to just maximize the profits and get out um, um as soon as possible again um i don't believe that's the case especially if you look at the names of of um you know of, of companies um that uh, that have announced uh, their investments um that that to me sounds more like you know we're we're here to stay for for at least um for 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 a good while.
0: Yeah, and it's fascinating because I think the narrative has really shifted in you know the last year or so, where there's really much more of a long-term store of value conversation. So potentially that would lead people to be stronger hands even coming into it, rather than kind of historically where people had to go through a cycle to become a strong hand. But then on the counter side, you might see the more professional level investors and institutions who are trying to rebalance on the way up where typically a lot of individuals don't bother rebalancing on the way up
1: yeah yeah and make um probably make use of of the volatility as well right that you get uh, you don't get anywhere else so so yeah i think i think we we still have have to to wait and see um what what this does Um, it's it's something that i'm very curious about because it's you know Bitcoin up to now has has moved very mechanically, right? Has moved you know very predictable. I mean it's it's insane if you look at these market cycles, right? How how, how beautifully they you know they just just come and go and 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 and, and, and you know now you have this new stream of of, of investors that you know have you know potentially different conviction potentially you know like different I different ways of, of of behaving in this market you know like what this potentially does structurally to the to 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 the space i'm super curious um, to 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 see how this plays out
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and if whether you know all those a uh, quote-unquote predictions and and, and and models that people have play out or whether you know they kind of get disrupted by by this by this new um, uh, mature money that that has flown in yeah I'm
0: I'm really really curious to see that yeah also the other interesting topic I wanted to discuss with you and I know you've done some analytics and data science work on this too is concentration of ownership now there's this kind of often quoted sort of mainstream media argument of oh 2% of accounts which first of all that's wrong 2% of accounts control 90 95% of all bitcoin is that true or is that wrong
1: <laughs> yeah no that's um, that's that's obviously wrong and i think you know some of the analysis that, that we did um was was essentially to to debunk that right and that number these you know, 2% of accounts control 95% of all Bitcoin is something that has been popping up all the time. Um, I mean, you know, the sentence itself is wrong because there's, what do you mean accounts? There, there's no accounts. So, so, right, it's, uh, first of all, you know, if you're talking about addresses, then that's that's a different story. But so the whole thing of, about this is that if you look at the blockchain, And you naively do this computation, right, and you take all the addresses that exist and, you know, you look at all the Bitcoins that all of these addresses hold, then, you know, you arrive to exactly those numbers, right? In that sense, you know, they could be correct, right, 2% of the addresses. Are holding 95% of Bitcoin, but of course, the uh, if you're doing these analyses, you need to be much more nuanced because this just leads to these very, very wrong narratives that are, you know, then being picked up by the media, and this is, you know, what's what 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 stays in in people's heads. And so what we did is we tried to, to get down to uh, something that. Comes closer to the truth than this right and and I think one of the important things is that not each address on the blockchain is to be treated equally when you do these kinds of analysis, right, because we all know a if you have an exchange address that holds the funds of millions of hundreds of thousands of mil or millions of users, then that's very, very different from you know, my hardware wallet address. Right. And, and, and so, or, or, you know, or look at uh, miners, this is the same thing and, and so on and so forth. Right. So there's these distinctions that you need to do on on the one hand. All right. And then also, you know, when, when we get back to, to now to, to clustering and then heuristics and so on, um, of course, I, I, I can have you know multiple addresses that are all controlled by me right so so these these should know if if there's possibilities to assess whether you know they are controlled by the same participant you know we can make use of that information as well i mean so that's essentially what we did right um and and you know of course our Our methods are not 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 perfect we're talking again here about you know statistics and heuristics and clustering and and you know um address labels and it 's not a hundred percent correct, but you immediately see that um you know you're shifting that number that you know shows that high concentration. Way, way, way further down, right? Um, so, two percent do not control 95. Our upper bound is essentially the two percent might control 70 um, percent or so, and that does that. A that's what I mentioned. That that is an upper bound. So, so we are very, very conservative there with with the the methodology that we apply, right? If 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 we are not sure, you know, that 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 something is actually, you know. Should be clustered, then we're not doing it, um, and and we believe that that number um, is is way less, um, especially if you take into account, um, you know, uh, numbers that that you cannot get from on chain data, which is the amount of users uh, on an exchange, right? i like I don't know, like the exchange on a on on chain is essentially well. A black box right it's just a set of addresses um that hold funds um and then you know they have their own you know accounting um on top of it um but that's something that that we cannot see um and so yeah this 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 whole analysis was was in order to to you know to 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 debunk this this the statement that that was popping up all over the place
0: yeah i see and in your analysis you actually uh, categorize or i guess stratify the different holding levels so you say as an example shrimp with less than one bitcoin crab with one to ten you know all going up to you know fish with 50 to 100 and then you know, sharks with five hundred to one thousand whales with one thousand plus coins, and then humpbacks five k and over. You know, the the Michael Sailors of the world. Um, and then you got like exchanges as well. So uh, that's a really interesting um, analysis. And I think, I guess, it 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 gives some rough level of what size holders there are on chain. That is uh, obviously not talking about people who leave their coins on an exchange or with, I guess, some large custodian.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that categorization comes, um, you know, was was initially in, in some very early forum as well, and then I got into a conversation with with Willy Wu. Actually, uh, we talked about this, and this is, you know, and then when um, when when we then decided, you know, that's let's do this analysis and let's let's you know categorize all these different players these you know um, participant sizes um, into these different different yeah maritime fauna and 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 put it out there so just you know as as an educational piece to 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 show that you know the it's 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 not as as bad as people try to paint this so yeah
0: yeah and also interestingly i thought it was fascinating that you were saying the amount of Bitcoin supply held by the smaller groups, the the shrimp and crab has actually increased and that some large entities, so dolphins, sharks, whales, and humpbacks. So we're talking, uh, what is that like? Which one's dolphins again? Sorry. Uh, dolphins are 100 plus. So basically the amount being held by those dolphins through to the, you know, the whales has actually decreased a little bit. And also you mentioned that there have been new whales birthed in a sense could you explain what that means
1: Yeah so so essentially there is there's is two two different insights here um, roughly so over time over the years what we see from this data is that you know bitcoin gets more dispersed right from from larger entities into the smaller ones right which is a beautiful thing to see because mm, and that that sort of like ties into this ethos of decentralization of and and a, again like against you know Bitcoin is, you know, highly concentrated. No, it's actually spreading um, over time. That's 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 one of the one of the trends that we saw in the data. But then, interestingly, on a more short term, and that is, you know, throughout 2020 and 2021, what we saw is that the supply or the amount of whales has risen a lot. Right again, you know, you can you can make the connection to. Institutionals, the connection to you know the depletion of liquidity on exchanges and and so on and so forth right so very very nicely to you know put all those data points then together to actually see oh yeah these are you know these are related to these big players that have been entering the space and so we've seen this this rise in, in 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 wales and uh yeah we we framed it as you know the The the, the whale birthing, because it's it's the amount of 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 entities that hold more than uh, 1000 Bitcoin. And and that has I mean, I think in December and January, it just surged a lot. It has come down a bit now over the last couple of, I don't know, two or three weeks, but uh, but we really saw that that huge um, um, increase um, throughout the, the last couple of months on chain.
0: Yeah, this is all very fascinating stuff. So I guess maybe if you were to, you know, have your outlook over the, let's say for the rest of this year, what are some of the indicators? What are some of the things that you are looking out for?
1: So, I think there there's in general there's a couple of themes that that I look at so so one one thing that I never take my eyes off is is you know network activity network health um um you know network security right these really these fundamentals i want to know what is happening there and what what is the hash rate doing what is what is you know the the amount of 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 activity in in the network is it healthy um what is the adoption how many people um any users are coming in that's something that i that i look at very very closely then i think this this whole liquidity narrative is, is something that i'm keeping my eyes on uh, very very closely and um, to to see actually how that plays out how that structurally maybe changes over the next weeks or months or whether that trend uh, that trend actually continues i'm looking at at whales as well so these larger players uh, you know whether whether it's whether you know there there's more of them coming in you know whether we can gog um, if they're if if they're transacting um, then really you know make the connection again there to off chain data to something like you know what are the grayscale holdings what is the Bitcoin ETF doing right so everything that that goes into the direction of of institutional's and the data points that are available for those right now I have a very close eye on 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 retail um, I really want to see you know. How how this plays out if if this keeps uptrending if if you know um, if we can actually see you know a lot of FOMO and FUD within this bull run you know potentially a bit more volatility um, whether we really see increased activity of of transactions into and out of exchanges that's that's definitely something that I that I look at and then um, I think the really these, these market indicators, right? These these market cycle indicators, like, you know, we talked about Nupal, there is, you know, uh, things like SOPR, the reserve risk, the IMVRVZ. a lot of these fundamental uh, cycle indicators that, you know, give you a good sense of, you know, which of those indicate that you might, be getting into the danger zone of you know reaching a top and then i think what will be really uh, interesting to see is um, you know whether this is potentially a, a double top cycle you know where we get up to whatever 80 90 100 you know um have have a big correction and then and then start ramping up again that's that's something that I'm that I'm that I'm looking at as well, um, and something we didn't talk about, which is off chain, is uh, is the derivative space, right? I think futures mm. and and you know the open interest there is is something that I that I really like to look at a lot with respect to you know, and then also combine it with 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 on chain because yeah, the diver- derivatives are are something that um that that have have. Gain a lot of traction. In fact, you know, there there have been now times where they showed more volume than than spot exchanges, and um, and and so you know. And at the same time, it also means that um, if you have if you have these futures contracts, that there is you know margin locked up in these contracts that 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 you know then again ties into the the whole kind of, you know, supply and, and, and liquidity narrative. So, yeah, I would say roughly Um, those are the 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 big big things that I'm that I'm um, that I'm looking at and and probably (laughs) I forgot many there's so (laughs) many it's just it's just so there's so many and so much that is interesting there Um, yeah Yeah,
0: well it's been really fascinating Uh, yeah just uh, there's a lot of insights to be gleaned from this as well so uh, Raphael before we let you go where can listeners follow you and where can they find Glassnode online
1: yeah, so on Twitter it's uh, glassnode.com for for from for the company. Um, I'm Neocortex on Twitter. Uh, First E is uh, three, and otherwise on studio.glassnode.com. This is our our suite uh, where you know we have all the metrics that we talked about here today as as a live version for for people to explore.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, Raphael.
1: Thank you very much, Stefan. It was a pleasure.
0: So let me know what you think of the discussion about on-chain analytics with Raphael there. My DMs are open on Twitter. You can find me at Stefan Levera and my website is stefanlevera.com slash 258 for the show notes on this episode. Thanks, and I will see you in the Citadels.